in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this is the show for everyone who has an interest in HS&E in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode six. Joining me today is my expert co-host, Patrick Pister. How you doing today, Patrick? Yeah, doing great here at, uh, at the Summer Nape. Yep, so we're actually camped out in the media boot uh, at Summer Nape show. It's uh, on our must-to, must-go list every year. And we're joined today by uh, John Trueblood with Trueblood Resources. How you doing today, John? Uh, fine, good to see you, boys. Yeah, it is good to be here. Um, so one of the things that we want to talk about um, since we're at a show is, and we have the pleasure of having John here. John, you spend a lot of time out in the field. Yes, sir, I do. I, uh, we're a small independent producer, and, and what, what my father taught me uh, many years ago, if you're fortunate enough in the oil and gas business to find oil and gas, money's made in the dirt, is how he'd put it. I mean, it's literally obviously under the ground, but it's critical to be on the ground. Yeah, and then you've been in this industry for a long time. So from a uh, safety point of view, you've probably seen a lot of changes. You know, I have. Uh, just one thing that, that hit me many years ago, we're a small family, independent producer, but I always laughed. Uh, you know, our name was on the, the permits. It's True Blood Resources, and, you know, that's my, my last name. And so I'd always show up, Mark, at 2 a.m. in the morning. Funny things happen at 2 a.m. in the morning. So I'd make it a point, and I'd go, wow. True Blood's out here at 2 a.m. in the morning. It was something about just the camaraderie that made a huge difference in how people actually would keep their um, their vision on the ball, or their, or their eye on the ball. Right. So it's, you know, Patrick, I talk about this first. Regardless of what uh, um, rules you have in place or what protective equipment or whatever, it all starts with the people. And if you don't have good people that are safety conscious, you're going to have incidents. Well, what, it was interesting for me. One, this is a few years ago, and again, we're – a small company, so so we have to be really effective and nimble, and we just we can't throw money at things. So we have to have come up with those solutions. Uh, you know, I call it matters of the heart. But a, a, a Simrex guy, an engineer, said to me one time, they were this wasn't just the health thing, but it was a completion uh, procedure that they had changed in the Anadarko Basin where we operate, and they had come up with this great uh, technical ways of of doing things better. I said that's interesting, and and I, and I said, uh, so really, what's the most important thing to really make it successful? And he said, getting the people in the field to actually have buy-in to what our goals were, what the procedures are, and to implement it. So I said, oh, so it's really matters of the heart. So it wasn't necessarily the technical procedures, but it was really more the relationships that you, that you, that you put down. And, and so, and, and another thing, and then I'll, I'll let you all go ahead. I had another uh, field guy said to me one time, we were sitting and we were with a Schneider Trucking. They did some, some logistical work with us. They kind of were interested in some of our thoughts. And, and so we sat around and we talked about the, the oil and gas field, you know, the field operations. And now, of course, we have all the things with the, the pace on and cameras and, you know, and, and much more robust communications. He said just very simple. He said, unless you're on the ground, you think you know what's going on. But ultimately, it's about how you work with the field personnel to really encourage them as team members for the bigger goals. Otherwise, he, he said, quote, we could do things that you have no idea what's going on. 
I think that's probably changed a little bit, but ultimately, no. It's complex. It's 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 dark down there, as they say in this business. So. That's just some a couple of comments that I always remember. Yeah, you said something interesting about it being matters of the heart, and nowadays people just call that a, a safety culture or a, a, a you know your your corporate culture. You know, how how has that changed the, the people aspect? Is that pretty much the, the same over over your career that getting, um, getting there at two in the morning well, ha, has well, the effect? Well, and, first of all, in Oklahoma, I cannot speak to, to everywhere. Again, we're a very focused operator in the Anadarko Basin. The oil field is seventy percent Mexicanos. And, and I speak French well. I'm, I'm a, a practicante en español también. And I, I just, as a, as a gringo out there, immediately I'm out there speaking Spanish uh, or trying to speak Spanish or asking questions. And so, you know, remember, remember, think, language is the root of culture. And just by that simple effort where you're getting to people's essence, they immediately start smiling. So first of all, they're open-minded. If you come in there, and I've heard this comment, I don't know how many times. My son's studying petroleum engineering at the University of Texas now. And I, I encourage him consistently. I said, Jack, it's so important to have the analytical north-south south skills. But how you can begin to think circular is in the long run is critical. So to me, the first, as a, as a, as a professional or as an owner of a company, the first thing I do is ask questions. So I don't come out and say, gee, do this, do that. I, I go, you know, just a simple guy, and he's, he's, you know, he's fixing the motor or whatever he is, and what are your thoughts? How would you, how would you do it differently? Or if you were participating with me in this with well, what do you suggest? So to me, that goes down the whole ladder of safety huge. Because, again, if everybody is, feels like they have some personal uh, buy-in into the deal, and, again, it's, it's, it's relative, obviously, I think they they take a deep breath, and 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 they and, and and they even might consider you know they do drug tests et cetera, which is mandatory, it's so important. I think that's probably one of the biggest problems in my judgment. They might even be a little more open to that to say, hey, I want to have some some professionalism, regardless of what level they are, whether they're you know cleaning the mud pits and a, a drilling rig, or or they're or they're you know out doing some complicated JV or something. So, so anyway, that's just a, a simplistic way to outline it. Do you think that's the way you approach things? Do you think that's, that's common in the industry nowadays, or are you an outlier? When you get a new crew, are they, are they surprised by the way you, you interact with them? I, I, th I think, I'm not sure it hasn't always been an outlier forever. I can't speak to that. I think maybe because we're in this, this time of smartphones, I'll call it, where we have the fundamentals might be the same. We could flush that out more if you'd like. But but the communication side of this business is clearly different. Uh, the robustness of communication, the amount of information that we can gather, whoever we are, very simply is, is clearly different. So a fellow said to me one time, I thought, he said, it's not what you know, but how you can find it. So in the past, somebody would come out, probably be a little more authoritarian, and everybody, for whatever reason, because maybe there's another, as my, one of my field guys, he's in his 80s now, said to me, there was another lunchbox behind me. It's a cool way <laughs> to put it, wasn't it? Okay. You know, now maybe it's impossible to let somebody go because of all the other issues. So it has definitely changed. I, I, I think, to me, we talked about earlier with my father. We could also visit a little bit about his. I think there's other ways to 
be very effective without just either being you know, authoritarian or, or throwing money at it, uh, where you can, again, it's, it's, it's a team thing. And so I do think the fundamentals have changed. Now, what do I observe? Um, I'm not sure it's anything different in, in the fact that I call it the 80-20 rule, that maybe you know 20% of the guys were really on it all the time in the past and now. So, so you know, whatever they were, whether they're managers or their employees or whatever. So it's the other percentage. And again, I don't know if it's 80-20. How do you get a larger percentage to, to be, uh, again, professional and to be uh, have, have um, some, some personal uh, pride and, and interest? Uh, and, it, and I don't call it terror. It's just personal pride and really want to do a heck of a job. But to me, you got to bring that out. Hey, John, you said you have one of your field guys that are in his 80s? Yes. Right. Yeah. So that tells me a tremendous story about the culture that you drive over there. If you have somebody in their 80s still working for you, I mean, how did that culture in your company get started? Was that your dad has played a role in that? Well, well here's, here's how I'll just size my father up very simply. I mean, he's extraordinarily visionary. He's a very, very direct guy. Um, he's, a, he's probably a little intimidating. He's not a big fellow anymore. He's, you know, he's 91 years old and, and he was lost, I don't know how many inches, but you know, so he's, you know, 5'10 or so, but, but he's a very um, a powerful persona. Um, he probably was a little bit, I, I don't want to, bully's too strong a term, but that type of energy where people are kind of nervous, okay? So, so but they respected his leadership because they, they saw that he was quite visionary. So, um, but underneath that um, directness, it was really more direct. Uh, the, the, the part that I learned from my father was he's a very just fellow. So he, is, he doesn't have any patience. I've developed more patience probably <laughs> more because of how I've been trained, partly my mother and more diplomatic. Again, he's a World War II guy. Um, he went to uh, the South Pacific as a, I think he was 17, maybe he was 18. I think he just turned 18. Maybe he couldn't be there at 17. So it was a different time. Um, and the expectations were different. And I could mention one thing my mother said. So, well, I'll just digress on that for a second. So, so my mother's so, so cute. So she's from a nice New Orleans family. And, and she, she said that they basically were, were required to work. They were required to participate. They weren't, they weren't really, it wasn't, I don't know if loud's the right term, but, but the expectation was get up and, and make it happen. And so, I think there is some changes there, maybe because we're more economically prosperous now. But but ultimately, if you're back to my father, if you're just, if you're if you're, I think people respect that. So if and I don't know, if fair is the right term, but what that means is is you flush out needs. It's a needs-based thing. I mean, think about the guys that are working. If you just go, you know, you didn't wear those boots, or you had to have that protective. I mean, I could give you all kinds of stories on protective clothing that I get feedback on. Okay stuff will still happen it's not about the clothing i think it's about what's going on in the whole dynamic now maybe that's part of it so they don't think they can change the dynamic or it's too uh, it takes too much time to change the dynamic but i do believe hands-on and the other side of it you said this earlier in, in this, uh, this the question mark gee you're out there in the field a lot on the ground a lot of po folks you know they're in their office right on their laptop and it's pace on. Go out to the field. I mean, it's very simply. You're on pace on. Well, you know, the wind's blowing 90 miles an hour, 
75 miles an hour. The dust is blowing hard. There's hail the size of whatever. You know, there's mud up to your boot tops. Those are just simple things that actually affect the reality of what's going on in, in, in the, the health, safety, and environmental signs. So, Well, now that there's so many reports that have to go out, everybody stays in their office because they have to get this done, have to get that done, and I don't have time to get out to the field, which, which is where you need to be to to drive that culture and, and give your guys what they need. Well, that's part of it, absolutely. I, I, I Again, there needs to be a balance because I don't think um, legislating, if you will, is going to solve the, the, the problem completely. I mean, you have to have boundaries. You have to have guidelines. But to me, the field part, um, it takes time, and it's not comfortable. Uh, somebody said this to today. I was listening to it about the guy that fixes your air conditioning. It has to go up in your attic in Houston in the summer. Well, that's pretty rough, isn't it? I mean, my, my guy's out there. I said, well, Garland. His name's Garland. I said, Garland. So what's it like today? Well, it's, a, it's you know, 85 degrees, and it's a 7 o'clock in the morning. And it's going to be 102 today. And, and, you know, so, again, those are simple things. And, and, and so here's what, what I have found. Uh, when I first started the company in 1988, Basically, for three years, I parked myself out in the field in a trailer, just trying to understand everything. Because my background was, a, was not technical originally. It was really more f- financial. And I became technical over the years. And Amarco had, had been, uh, trained us greatly in, in the technical side, too, those of us that were financial types and our business types. And, but I, so anyway, I'm in the field doing all kinds of technical-type uh, work or you know, field work and pumping and you know, fixing things. And so now, even though I'm not there as much, they feel like I'm there. Does that make sense? Because I, they hear my voice and, oh yeah, you know, because I was out there in the mud with them so much that I, and plus I could tell, because they don't really want to tell you the whole story. I mean, it's working perfectly, right. do. But they tell you part of the story. And, and then I go, I don't say, gee, you're telling me part of the story. I go, so was that valve, what, what was what was really going on with that valve? Was that, what was happening with that? Why did that valve break? You said and, it's like communication asking yeah. questions. And, yeah, yeah, instead of, no, no, come on now, don't lie to me. Right. It wasn't don't lie to me. It was so and then then they then they, they, they come out and they said, Well, you know, this that we had a, a valve that you know that, that you know we hadn't checked or you know, <laughs> something that's probably simple, right? So but yeah, so back to the point. So Garland is uh, he's uh, he's uh, let's see, I'm fifty nine, he's uh, about he'll be eighty in about uh, three months, I think. So What's he doing out there? What's his job role? Well, he's really a field superintendent. Again, we're a small operator. Um, he wears a lot of hats. Uh, uh, he's a he's a you know 1099 guy, but but's worked for us for. Well, let's see here. I think the first put him on one of my deals in '92, 1992. Um, and now his he's got sons that you know they've done work for us too, and 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 they're. They're, you know, his sons are college educated, but these are field, field, field people, field men, whatever you want to call them. They have to be ma- males, but but field. They're just really know how to make things work, and that isn't going to change. Now, you know, automation, the rigs will be better. The you know, horizontal drilling is a magnificent technology. The efficiencies are, f- are fabulous, and the rigs have improved some. But a lot of what we still do is really 1950s basic work you know if you think about it so yeah john i keep seeing this thing going back to it's the people it's the people in this industry and i say this all the time even though this industry is large and global 
it's still of industry of people doing business with people. Um, in your, uh, you know, since you started this in the 80s, was that 30 some odd years of doing this on your own? Yeah, 88. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, you're, you're getting, yeah. Right Do you still think the people element is the most important part? Absolutely. So let me make a, just a simple comment. Again, my background educationally was more uh, um, uh, classical, all right, philosophy and art, the letters, if you will, and languages and things. And then I did business. And so I'm very involved with engineering now at Colorado School of Mines. Uh, also, uh, there's a, a program called McBride Honors Program, which I'll briefly touch on. And then now my son's at the University of Texas, extraordinary school. And of course, Austin is very diverse, right? It's, it's a very socially liberal in Austin. It's an extraordinary institution. And, and, and I've been fortunate enough with a, a, a professor by the name of Gary Pope to do enhanced recovery uh, projects with him where we're doing the field uh, tests for his uh, lab work. Uh, and I've gotten to know the professors well, and then now my son's there. So one of the struggles, and my father doesn't disagree with this, and he is a, a PE graduate, a petroleum engineering graduate from UT, University of Texas. So my goal was how do we in college teach the engineers, which I think engineering is one of the most important fundamental uh, educational experiences because we will make things, we are making things in this country, and it's an incredibly analytical way to tackle things. I'd like to see engineers in politics, actually, more than attorneys, and, and we can touch on that if you want to. The challenge is, is it's just not a north-south way of living. And if you only are thinking that way, what happens is under crises, and as we all know about the health, uh, safety and environment, it's all about crises, really, if you think about it. So how do we operate under crises? And so my thought was, okay, how can we take these really smart students? And they are smart. I mean, my son did extremely well, and he's like, you know, middle of the pack, and he got a 3.7. He's a bright, bright young man, but, but they're extraordinarily intelligent you know, naturally intelligent students. So how do we get them to develop a more uh, rounded, a, a polish, if you will? And, and so to me, liberal arts, you know, back to education, is a real solution, is a way to make them take that analytical side and put them in another setting. So I think, and they're beginning to warm up to this. Uh, you're starting to see this cross-pollinated, I call it, with uh, where you have the uh, you know minor in business and a major in engineering or maybe uh, the arts i'm starting i'm very involved in the arts and, and cu denver um, how do you take the art students and the engineers so i believe that you can train these engineers or expose them to some of these ideas in school yeah and it's um that's a perfect segue into what i wanted to ask you next so i'm 52 years old i've been in this industry 20 years um, you've been in this industry for a long time your dad was in this industry and we're seeing a lot of the people that have been doing this for 10, 20, 30, 40 years leave the industry right now in this low crude price environment. Do you think that's gonna affect our next wave of engineers coming into the industry? Well, I'll just give a personal experience. So I started with Amoco Production Company in 1988. Uh, sorry, 1980, left there in 1988. Um, 86, we laid out 30% of our staff in Denver. Actually, I guess it, yeah, it wasn't Denver actually because it was just that office. So that's a big number. We never, in my judgment, uh, uh, we, we never really recovered psychologically from that experience. Um, I think that's personally one reason Amico disappeared. An extraordinary company, probably the best oil finder in the in the in the domestic uh, lower 48. 
uh, large company, extraordinarily entrepreneurial, um, uh, HR, human resources started running the company. And so absolutely it will affect this. Uh, I, 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 I'm not saying we go, go, won't go by. My father's, as you can imagine, as a World War II guy, a little concerned about where we find ourselves uh, economically and maybe politically in this country right now. It's a kind right. of a, a unique time, and we won't get into that here unless you'd like. But um, I said, Father, what about the Civil War? So he has a hard time, you know, think about how disruptive the Civil War. So we'll get through it, Mark. Yeah. That, so, yes, it'll affect it, but we'll get through it. And we'll get through it because, as you know, because you've become very close to this industry, this is a very resilient group. And the reason is, is ultimately we're dealing with earth science. As much as we like to, from a financial standpoint, act like we measure the earth real well and we could predict these things, we do not. Yeah, and the other thing, it's a bunch of roughneck and cowboys. <laughs> I mean, and that's just a group of people that don't lie down for anything. Um, so this is a good point to pause uh, and, and go into our Red Wings uh, uh, tip of the week. What you got, Patrick? Yeah, to talk about the Red Wings safety tip of the week, I wanted to discuss the uh, steel toes or safety toes that they should be called because uh, they're changing. It's not just steel. They're using different, different materials that, that are replacing steel. Um, having been able to go up to Red Wings facility and, and tour their factory and talk about it a little bit, uh, there's a lot of common misconceptions about steel toe boots um, in the industry now that um, steel's heavier, some of these polymers are actually heavier, steel's stronger than these other polymers, which in some cases isn't true. Um, one, of, one of the examples they give us while we were up there, if you damage a steel toe boot, it's physically bent. You can see the, the bend in the steel, whereas these, these new polymers, maybe they'll crack, but if they don't crack, they can rebound right back to the original shape, so you don't know that it's been damaged. Now there are some benefits to having uh, these polymers. They can be stronger and lighter, so the guys are, are walking around. They, they don't have as, as heavy of a boot on. Um, and it's, the material you use shouldn't be dependent on, I need steel toes. It's, you need a safety toe, and you need to talk to your, your shoe manufacturer, your, your supplier, uh, Red Wing's a great, great one, uh, about the shape of the boot, the desired weight of the boot, the bonding agents, and, and what they're good for, the temperatures you're gonna be involved in. Um, steel's not the only one you need to use explore some other options um, but start thinking of safety toe safety toe is safety toe whether it's steel or a polymer it's there to protect the guys you just need to be using the, the right one for the job yeah and we were so lucky we actually got to tour red wing and watch them make the various safety toe boots and, and literally uh, their quality control on either the steel or the composites and the leather and the uppers and the bottoms is just crazy intense they literally i was talking to somebody the other day they literally can go back on the leather side all the way to the butcher that was slaughtering the cow if they have quality issues. So if you and your team out there needs um, um, PPE of any sort, because Red Wing's known for their boots, but they also have a whole huge arrangement of PPE, FR clothing, um, you know, anything that you need, reach out to your local Red Wing dealer. They make some of the best stuff on the planet. And actually, Patrick and I are actually both wearing Red Wing boots right now. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was a great tour, great, uh, great experience up there. Yeah. So, John, um, you mentioned earlier um, how some things have changed from technology. You know, we have these faster, higher horsepower rigs. Uh, completions are going much quicker. Um, how does that play into the people? Do the people that are in the field still need the same skill sets they needed 20 years ago? Well, I, I think the skill sets are absolutely going to be advancing. It, it's still a very mechanical business. It's, it's uh, always been somewhat technical. Um, Yes, I, I, I think, I, I, to me, it, it, it well, I'll, be, I'll make it more simplistic. Rural Oklahoma 
probably has been dominated again by Spanish-speaking uh, folks. Uh, part of the challenge in rural America is the opportunity uh, financially is, 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 is variable, really. And, and I think the school systems are not, you don't have as many options there. So it's, I think, a different um, goal. You know, you could, in the oil field, obviously, you can make a very good living, or have been. It's tough right now, of course. In, in the oil field. So I think the basic guy working in the field, that part might still be very similar, but there's no question that the technologies are improving. So to me, it's leadership again. So how you get the, you know, whoever the key guy is, you know, maybe he's the pusher on the rig, maybe he's the driller, you know, however he's sort of understands it. And then the little pieces of the puzzle. So you got the directional guy out there now, right? So you got guys that are specializing that are just doing the directional tools. So Again, how all those guys work with each other is, is to somewhat, I almost call it training on the job. It's probably still, you know, for the team, if you will, right? Because you've got, I always kind of laugh now. I mean, I get out to these, these horizontal drilling projects now, and it, it reminds you of, of a bivouac, you know, <laughs> where you, you move into, you know, the, 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 the military. Because, you know, now we have eight trailers out there. We used to have maybe, two, you know, the mudlog trailer and the pusher had a trailer and maybe the company guy had a trailer. You know, at three, now you have, you know, if you don't have, like, eight on location, it's... And again, you know, my, my field guy, the 80-year-old guy, he just looks at him and he, he's not impressed, okay? It says at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're, you're turning to the right, right, Mark? You, you know that one? And, 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 and there's just some basic mecha- just mechanics. It's sort of like, like how we used to be able to work on the old uh, uh, muscle cars, right? Everything's computerized. So, so absolutely it has changed. There is more more uh, training, I think, that could go to help people to do things. Um, I think, we, you know, however we go to quote more automation, it's probably important. But, but fundamentally, in my judgment at least, what is, will change and has changed this industry is the horizontal drill bit. And that is still basically, you know, the same kind of technology we've done forever. We just happen to be drilling, you know, two miles laterally now or mile or whatever the number is and and maybe it'll be more at some point that if the, the efficiencies that that has caused which again has certain technical spots and certain very mechanical is here to stay i think more than geophysics ever will or maybe not maybe there'll be something but i think having seen geophysics kind of blossom from its real high pre, uh, preeminence in the uh, late 70s and, and 80s particularly uh, this 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 horizontal drill bit is magnificent. Oh yeah, it's it's been a game changer from a well stimulation technique. It is it is like the next major jump in technology, and it's it's proven. It's it's um, you know it's been around for a long time. Um, the combination of the horizontal drilling and the fracking is what's not been around for a long time. But um, yeah, definitely a big game changer. So it's um this is a good point, uh, John. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing, where we are, and about True Blood Resources. So we're at Nape. You want to tell us a little bit of background about NAEP? Well, uh, North America Prospect Expo, gosh, Mark, it started in the Galleria here, I think. Let's see, the first time we went was in, uh, gosh, we were doing a deal for my father's company. It was probably like 95. Yeah, it started and, in a low crew price environment yeah, in the and, 90s. And, and, and so I think the first one was in like 92-ish, 3-ish, somewhere around there probably. So we went to the Galleria. I think that was the second year. So it was, you know, I think 95. And then it got big. So, uh, you know, one of my friends got very involved early on in IHS before they, you know, the, 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 the uh, 
data group. Uh, and, and I remember coming to my office in the 90s and he said, why isn't the oil business more involved with, with really at that point even the growing internet experience? I mean, the internet is, is a real fundamental change of everything we do. Uh, I think it's terrific. It has a dark side too, but but uh, this is a great, uh, it's a great event. Uh, you know, some years are better than others. It's a little slower maybe this time uh, than last summer, which is kind of interesting to me because I think uh, the pundits, if you will, are seeing a $50 oil around the corner, maybe 50 to 60. Uh, back to your point, with which is really this, what we're talking about this podcast, the, the oil and gas field is, is shredded. Uh, everybody says on CNBC, oh yeah, well, you know, we're going to get $50 oil and they'll just, the ducks will do this and they'll turn on the taps for that and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought to myself, well, where is the guy to turn on the tap? Right. A lot of them have left and some of them are debating whether they want to come back. They're not making as much money, but they're working. And, and, you know, if they see, you know, something sustained, but some of the older guys, I'm 59. So the guys that are more in my vintage, I'm talking about the field guys now. Some of them say, you know, I'm done. They, they still probably are working, but but they're they're just not coming back. So that's it's going to be a real issue. And now we'll get through it. I don't know how long it'll take. It'll it'll, it'll increase field prices uh, to do business, which is not good because I think the crude price will be stay low. But it may jump. And just wait and watch. Everybody's going to start. Oh gosh, we're paying three dollars for a gallon of gasoline again or four. And everybody's going to be pointing fingers. But but. Um, Fundamentally, places like NAEP, I think, is it just a, is my, here's my father says very simply, it's just a great way to see a lot of people very efficiently and not very expensive to do it. Yeah, it's, um, the thing I love about NAEP, it's the only oil expo that I go to where everybody that's here is either coming to buy something or to sell something. So there's a different energy in the crowd. And our, actually, our turnout uh, yesterday was better than I thought. We had 2,600 people turn out yesterday. I would have been happy with 2,000. And surprisingly enough, John, we had 600 people yesterday who just walk up to the door, which makes me think they waited to the last minute to show up. So I'm actually looking forward to see what happens today. Okay, that'll be exciting. Well, I think it's a. I think you're the same way, Mark. You're here. I, I think it's a must attend. Yeah, I, I really do. And then, John, you're here. Actually, you have some prospect properties you have on the market. Right. So, so we've been uh, in Anadarko Basin uh, for many, many years, over 25 years now. Uh, it's a very rich petroleum system, uh, and one of the richest in the world. It's, ex- it's an extraordinarily effective operating climate too. Uh, Oklahoma has been, we're in the Oklahoma side of the Anadarko Basin, has been consistently encouraging small business to, uh, to prosper. Uh, and, and, and essentially incubating, I think, still is, is, is dominated more by smaller business because, again, we don't have the capital, so we have to be more nimble and kind of in front of where people are coming. So not where the highway is, but where it's going. And so we're in a really interesting project now that's a horizontal play and emerging now in Kingfisher County, which is the core of the stack. And we're more in the shelf uh, over more towards Ellis County. But the same rocks are in our area that are there in the core of the stack. And in Oklahoma, like the Permian Basin now, the Anadarko Basin is, is showing its real uh, colors as we get drilling capital. So the more wells that are drilled, uh, principally horizontally, somewhat stimulation but a lot of it's geologically driven so it's very targeted which is what we do we 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 get a lot of geology understand the targets and then see how a horizontal drill bit will be a more effective geologic tool as well as a a more uh, efficient and effective use of capital uh and so that's what we are up to we have a forty thousand acre block and nice scalable project and it's still early stage it's partially de-risked and so we're getting some pretty good 
response. The, the, the things people like about it is, is in a $50 environment, it's really interesting because the wells aren't very expensive. It's moderate depth. So we've continued to get some, some real interest, and yet it still scales with, with high reserve potential. Uh, and now because of the Kingfisher and the, and the, and the huge amount of uh, press that's gotten with some of the recent acquisitions that have been uh, uh, done in that, in that core area, uh, people are going, well, wow, we need to take another look at the Anadarko Basin because uh, they've been very Permian-centric here for the last year. Right. And so if people wanted to take another look and get to know more about you and your company, where should they go? Well, you know, we, we've got, you know, as usual, it's Google. <laughs> Google True Blood Resources, Inc., and, and, and uh, John True Blood. Uh, you know, we have a, a very uh, robust website, I hope, lots of video. But, go, you, know, our, you know, we're big on the website. I'm on LinkedIn. We have a Facebook page, uh, the usual social media, and, and uh, the internet, Google. Ooh, perfect. And we'll put some links to, to your website and your, your profile up there on the uh, show notes for this. Yeah. And this is a great time to, to give thanks again to our sponsor, uh, Red Wing. You know, if you have a need for uh, any PPE out there in the field, look at Red Wing stuff. High quality, great stuff, comfortable. Make sure your people goes home every night. And the courtesy of Red Wing, we're actually giving away one of these really cool offshore bags. Now, if you're listening to this, you might have heard that Patrick and I have said this, what, six times, and we've yet to announce a winner, but that's because we're, we pre-recorded these shows. So if you want to red, win one of these bags, it's really, really simple. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put in your information, and we're going to pull one lucky winner a week. And this bag has been in such high demand that people have actually offered us big bucks for that, which we don't take. So the only way you can win one is go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast and put in your info and good luck to you. Um, Patrick, you want to talk a little bit about a LinkedIn group? Yeah, the LinkedIn group. It's the best industry group out there. There's there's not a lot of fluff. There's not a lot of spam out there. It's people helping people. It's professionals talking about the industry. It's technical questions being answered. It's a, it's a great place. If you're not part of the group, go to the oil and gas global network, sign up. It's moderated. It's like I said, not a lot of fluff. It's good quality content. You'll find out, uh, upcoming events that we're going to have industry topics and yep go there and sign up yeah it's um it's it's our oil-filled family right it's just on linkedin and we have no spam we have no tolerance to that every single person and every single post that's, is moderated by a real life person to make sure it's useful for everybody so um do us a favor uh if you like the show can you please 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 leave us a review it takes a minute and a half if you leave us a review it helps us in our search engine rankings so that more people can find us so that we can help more people out there um, and if you don't like the show or if you have suggestions leave us a review around that too you know we want five stars but we'll take one stars as well and then if you waited all the way to the end can you do us a favor especially now in the beginning can you share the show can you share this in your social networks share this with your friends uh, hit reply all to your in your email service and send it to everybody in your company I don't really do that. Um, but yeah, anything you can do to help us share the show, we'd really appreciate it. And tell us what you want to hear about. There's there's a link in there to, to contact Mark and myself. Let us know what you want to hear about you know, in the HSC and offshore, onshore, upstream, midstream, downstream. Yeah, the show's still new. We're still, we're still figuring out what's the best path, so we'd love to have your input. You know, this is a show for you. So if you help us understand what you're looking for, we'll make sure you get it. All right, so Patrick, we need to go uh, finish exploring Nape. You ready to get out of here? Yeah, it's a nice kicking off again today, so we're going to head on out of here and go check it out. All right, so folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. 
Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London.